Welcome to the Abodo Presents podcast. My name is Daniel Gudson. For this podcast, we chat to Bryce Dunlop to open the discussion around alpine architecture and construction. Well, we're grateful to have today with us Bryce Dunlop, owner of Dunlop Builders, an award-winning Wanaka-based builder. Welcome, Bryce. Thanks, Daniel. It's good to be here. Well, normally, Bryce, you're building high-end architecturally designed homes, but more recently, you've done a few more unique projects. Tell us a bit about your business. Yeah, that's right. So Dunlop Builders has been in business since 2003. I personally have had 28 years in the construction industry, straight out of school and uh, learned my trade at a, at a very young age. So for 17 years, we've been building homes in this region. I'm actually a third generation builder. My grandfather started off in the construction industry in 1945. He was a return serviceman in the war and the government were offering cadetships and he took one of those up and had a long career in Wellington that spanned well over 40 years. Uh, during that time, he built 450 homes in the Wanaka region, which is quite an effort. My father was also a builder. He was in the commercial construction industry, in particular specialised in project management, multi-storey, high-rises, that sort of stuff. I'm more in the residential market. There's quite a legacy for me to follow on. It's a great motivator for excellence. And it has really created a real passion that I want to carry on as a bit of a family tradition. So we've been fortunate to have been given opportunities to build some amazing homes over the years. It's really funneled us into the high-end market where we have opportunities like this to work with people like Daniel and Abodo and Assembly to be able to be at the forefront of, I'd say, new products, new building technologies, and put us in a position where we get the opportunity to build the Cadrona cabin. Yeah, well, I'm going to lead into that. Bryce, one of your more unique projects recently was last year's Cadrona cabin that you built for Abodo. What attracted you to that project? A big attraction to the projects are relationships. It's about the people, it's about the materials, and it's about the challenge, and then there's the build itself. So we've worked with Justin and Louise at Assembly prior, and when they rang us about this project, um, we knew that it was going to be something good. So we got on board at an early stage. We had a collaborated approach around the build methodology and also the building efficiency, which contributed at an early stage to be able to manage the cost and meet budgets. So during this stage, we met Daniel, and it gave us a really good understanding to be able to learn a little bit about the story behind Abodo and also to tap into your knowledge about the Abodo timber and what its capabilities are and how it performs, and in particular how it performed or ultimately ended up performing in this in this environment. For those that haven't seen the Cadrona cabinet, it is quite an intricate build. What were the challenges that you, you came across when you were building it? Cadrona is quite a harsh environment. It's four, four, four or 500 metres above sea level. It creates some pretty harsh weather conditions. The weather is a pretty big factor in the build and it's something that we had to mitigate early on and come up with a bit of a plan around that, which uh, we did with basically tenting the whole build. And that protected uh, not only us from the weather, but it also protected the materials from the weather as well, which was quite important in this case, considering that all of the timber that we were using, or the abodo timber that we were using, we didn't want to have any exposure to the weather, and the tent allowed us to be able to do that in a, a good safe and within good conditions. Essentially, the, the structure of the build, which was all exposed timber, was visual right from the start. We basically, we look at it as building the cabin inside out, so the frames which were all exposed, uh, basically the first thing that you are greeted with when you enter the building, they were the first things that were stood on the build. 
So there had to be a lot of care and protection put in place early on just to make sure that that product withheld the remainder of the construction during the build. And that was the same with the rafters and everything um, that went into it at those early stages. Having a tent in there was one of the things that really helped us get through those stages. We also went to the extent of protecting a lot of the horizontal surfaces of the abodo during the build. Uh, That was mainly because we had so much construction work to go in over the top of what we were working on initially. With the structure of the building being fully exposed visually, there had to be an enormous amount of care and craftsmanship that went into making the frames and roof framing as well. So it's evident when you walk into the cabin, um, you're immediately hit with nice tight construction joints or framing joints. And that's definitely one of the features of the build. Great. I mean, you know, if you, if you haven't been there, it's worth checking it out. The cabin itself uses a, a warm wall slash roof system, uh, which I hadn't been exposed to before. Have you used these sort of systems before? Yeah, we have actually. Uh, not on the walls, but we've certainly used them on roofs before. In particular, it's more of a recent sort of thing that's crept into the building industry. I can't recall it being... I think the, the first one that we did was actually through assembly on a job that's in Wanaka. And it was just a roof and it had a similar roof style, which was exposed rafters, exposed, in this case, plywood, and then uh, the warm roof over the top of it as well. Coincidentally, that was a airtight home. And I'm pretty sure that that was the first time that uh, Assembly had incorporated into their plans as well with a warm roof. And that would have been probably three years ago. And that was our first experience with uh, warm roof technology. The beauty of the Abodo cabin was really the architect's ability to be able to wrap the warm roof down over into the walls and have a really seamless junction between the two. With that, it really increases the thermal performance and negates the amount of uh, thermal bridging involved with having a continuous warm roof technology on walls and roof. So it was pretty exciting for us to be involved with that and in that. And yeah, we certainly learned a lot out of that process along the way. And we also recognize the value of being able to have a building that is fully encapsulated in that sort of technology. Yeah, and I guess it's quite relevant for the alpine environments as well, where you've got obviously lower average temperatures and higher altitudes, I guess that extra layer of insulation gives you that sort of peace in mind in terms of providing the the occupants with more comfort. Oh, yeah, 100%. Just with those comments that you had before, Cadrona has a pretty large temperature differential between the hottest day and the coolest day. I worked out it's around 40 to 45 degrees. So with those huge temperature spikes and, and drops, there's an enormous amount of pressure on the building. And having a warm roof where you essentially don't have a dew point, which is a real issue in colder climates uh, with you know, warm interiors, very cold exteriors, and a risk of internal moisture, build-ups, whereas having that warm roof completely eliminates any chance of that happening, which is a real advantage in those sorts of environments or in in any cold environments for that matter. I'm glad that you mentioned that temperature differential. That is quite prevalent through the central Otago region. How do you feel about working with wood in these sorts of environments? Obviously, that contraction, that huge variance in temperature and moisture content would be tough on wood. What's your thoughts on that? Yeah, absolutely. In central Otago, because of our elevation, it's also a very dry environment. And with a dry environment, it can move timber around enormously. It is quite a high risk area 
in construction here. And there's some timbers that handle it a little bit better than other timbers. But the one thing that we really did find with the Bodo is that we really trusted the product. And the more that we worked with it, the more that we found how stable it was. Uh, the interesting thing is with timber, we normally like to let it acclimatise a little bit when it comes up from the coast. Um, obviously, it's going through an enormous amount of stress because of the moisture content in the timber changes quite rapidly. And that is what can affect the end performance of the timber once it gets installed on the building. But the one thing that we noticed with the Abodo timber was that when it turned up to site, it was obviously in very good condition and it didn't seem to need that acclimatization. It turned up onto site and we immediately installed it. So over the time, we just ended up having this real trust with it, which certainly gave us so much confidence in our ability to be able to make sure that we had all of the, the joins, all of our rafters, our framing timber, nice tight butt joints, and it, essentially it didn't move from there. So at an early stage, we recognised it, and going through the remainder of the build with a lot of the finishing lines, etc., it performed very, very well. And that was a real advantage that we found with using a Bodo wood. It's great to hear. Bryce, another project that's quite interesting you're working on at the moment is a rammed earth home. How do you find uh, rammed earth from a, as a construction material? Yeah, the rammed earth homes are interesting. This is our, our second one that we've done now. And coincidentally, the rammed earth comes from Cadrona, essentially over the road from the Cadrona cabin, uh, which is quite a nice thing, knowing you're putting a product into a house that is locally sourced. And uh, obviously the carbon footprint of that is very minimal. With rammed earth, it's quite, uh, I, the way that I like to explain it, it's quite monolithic. The walls are between four and 500 mil thick and are quite vertical. Um, they really have a presence in the build and done right, which is where the architects come into it. It just gives you a real sense of warmth and grandeur when you stand in a room with rammed earth around you. And there's just something really quite solid about it that until you're standing up against a wall, it's hard to describe, but that's the best way that I can put it forward. So tell us a bit about the process of the rammed earth. So the earth uh, gets excavated um, basically straight out of the, out of the ground. It, it doesn't, you don't need to dig down for it. It's, it's just a layer of clayey alluvial sort of materials mixed in with it. That gets trucked down, in this case, to Wanaka, where it's put through a 19 mil sieve, and then it gets dropped off directly to site. So when it turns up on site, the slab's already down, and we have a small plinth that is made out of concrete that basically is the outline of the rammed earth walls. The material turns up. We contract the rammed earth workout. There's a guy in town called Jimmy Cotter who's got down-to-earth building, which he specialises in rammed earth construction. He's been doing it for 20-plus years, so he's got a, a lot of experience in that. So the rammed earth uh, walls get formed up with boxing or formwork and boxing materials basically to the height of the wall. Inside the wall, we have reinforcing bars that run from the foundations up through the slab and then ultimately up through the rammed earth walls. They're spaced at about 800 mil centres. And the total length of a rammed earth wall, we don't want to go any more than around three metres. That's because there is some thermal movement with rammed earth. Uh, like there is with a lot of materials. By having control joints at those sorts of intervals, it controls the product a lot better. So once the earth is on site, 
we pour a, a concrete mixing pad, which is about eight metres by eight metres. Jimmy and his guys, they've got a, a tractor, which has got a backhoe onto, on it. They dump the earth on the mixing pad with a front-end loader, and they mix some cement and water into the earth itself. And then the backhoe or hoe will back into it, and it mixes it up. It's quite an organic sort of a process. It mixes it up and churns it around until the consistency is, if, if you grabbed a little bit, in your hand and squeeze it together it holds its own form so there's there's quite a technique and i'm guessing that with jimmy it's years of experience that gives him that information once he gives it a bit of a press so once that's done then they use the front end loader to lift the earth up on top of the form and there's a couple of guys up there on scaffolds and they're manually shoveling the earth down into the form so with the size of the walls the form is around 450 mil wide and that allows a person to get down inside the boxing itself he stands to one corner they shovel off to the other corner and then they they rake it out in layers which you can't just shovel it all in and then job done so it actually needs to be compressed with a pneumatic rammer it has a, a big head on the rammer and a guy that is actually manually down there with this rammer holding it while these guys are shoving at this earth down in, in layers ramming away for hours on end it is it's a very labor intensive job and and full credit to him it's not the easiest thing in the world to be able to do but it is quite spectacular to watch the architect on this particular project is actually rafe mclean amanda snow has done a lot of the drawings and detailing work but she wanted to experience what it was like to ram once the earth got up a little bit higher we wouldn't put her down into this big black void of, of boxing her thoughts were she couldn't do it for more than five minutes, let alone a couple of hours. So with that ramming, if you ever have see pictures of rammed earth, you actually can see the layers running through. And that is the layers that they are putting down. And you can see in places where they don't ram it as much. And this is one of the characteristics of rammed earth as well. You can see a little bit of honeycombing. For me, that just adds to the character of the walls. They've essentially got to ram it until they get to the top. So you'll see a head coming out first and then neck, body, and eventually the guy standing up on top of this big mold and he's finished for the day he can go and have a rest and a cup of tea so the process has to go from start to finish with the first ramming at the bottom end right up to the top it's pretty good we've we've, we've got some video footage if you ever want to see it in action the good thing about this is that they can strip the boxing they've stripped the boxing even that day they prefer to leave it to the next day but it's not uncommon for them to pull the boxing off as soon as they've finished the mold which is quite incredible really it just proves that it's not a it's not a liquid sort of a form there's no pressure on it except for the ramming interesting a lot of people and you mentioned it earlier rammed earth being a material with a low embodied energy do you see a trend towards sustainability in in this uh, construction space yeah we're certainly getting a lot more questions asked on that topic previously years ago no it wasn't really a factor but there's certainly a lot more discussion and We've recently had clients that have been quite interested in wanting to research a lot of materials and their origins and where they've come from. And this is something that's going to grow. It's going to grow real quick, especially with you know, impact that foreign materials have as far as their, what their carbon footprint's like. And yeah, I, I think it's just a way that the construction industry is going to go. We'd like to think that Dunlop Builders is at the forefront of it and using products like what we're using with the rammed earth and the abodo timber is a great opportunity for us to learn a lot more and be able to offer other alternatives to your more traditional sort of materials that people are using that have a pretty big carbon footprint or, or embodied energy footprint. 
Yeah, I think it's an interesting point. I mean, I think the market's becoming more and more aware of uh, low energy homes and of operational carbon, so the, the amount of energy the building needs to operate. But this whole embodied energy thing is starting to become more apparent. Are you seeing embodied energy being something that people are considering, at least at the design level? Yeah, absolutely. I think people have just got a lot more awareness you know, with media and the information that you can gather prior to building and the research that people do before they are building their homes. They definitely take that into consideration. And we're actually seeing it firsthand and having involvement with architects at an early stage and owners at an early stage to give them a better understanding of materials and embodied energy of the materials as well. Have you ever heard of the circular economy model? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, we just actually recently had a, a podcast with Jed Finch, who's actually developed a, a circular economy framing method. Yeah, I'd like to learn a little bit more about it. And it's, just, it's something that has cropped up in discussion as well recently. And yeah, I think it's another good avenue to look at when you're going through your material selections as well. Absolutely. Let's um, move on to uh, construction waste. Now, we know that construction waste is one of the largest contributors to line landfill. What are you doing in your business to try and reduce your waste contribution? We're quite proactive in waste management on our sites. We have our recycling stations. There's two sides to recycling. There's the waste that turns up to site that you can recycle. And then there's the waste that you really don't want to be turning up to site. So there's stuff that you deal with when it turns to site. And there's stuff that you can deal with before it turns to site. And that is intercepting waste or packaging from our suppliers or trade suppliers putting a little bit of pressure on them to see if they can look at alternatives and what they send their product down to. A lot of the construction waste is actually in building wraps that wrap your timbers or jib board or your linings. It turns up in plastic. So it's actually pushing back a little bit on them just to make sure that we don't have to deal with waste when it turns up onto site. And the other side of it is when we do have waste on site, what we do with it. Recycling of that waste is the last resort. That's the attitude that we've got. When waste does turn up onto site, we do have our recycling bins, which are categorised between your cardboards, your plastics that are recyclable, and also your polystyrenes, your bottles, your steel, your firewood, which is untreated timber. And that gets sorted out all on site, and all of that can get recycled. There's also the other aspect of it, which is what actually can get reused, which we see as waste that someone else can hold a little bit of value over. And there's avenues that you can look at that will offer, we think it's waste, but it's useful. Offcuts of timber, for example, if we're doing any renovations, there's doors or windows that come out of the build, is offering that to the community for someone else to actually get another life out of that product. And we're involved with an app called Civil Share, which is a sharing sort of an app, which allows us to be able to do that and open up the doors a lot more in that front. Facebook's actually quite a good avenue if we've got products left over, take a photo of it. There's some trading posts locally that we put them on the trading post and before you know it, someone comes around and picks it up. Someone's getting some good use out of something that is left over on a building site. But the other side of it is really being quite calculated with the waste or the waste factors, which going down the route of more selected lengths when we're ordering materials so we don't have big offcuts that are no good. There's, there's a whole raft of things that we're putting into practice as a company to try and make waste better on sites. And from what we've seen, we, we, we like to see ourselves as leaders in the industry and not only with new products and technology, but also with waste management and recycling and getting some uh, second uses out of materials that we don't use on a building site. That's great, Bryce. I mean, I, I think 
making some, especially recovered materials, making them available to the community is a, is a fantastic initiative. That's great. Bryce, it's been great having you on board. How can people get a hold of you or, or see what, what you do? What's the best way for them to connect with you? Uh, they can look on our website and there's a whole raft of information and stuff about us on there. It's dunlopbuilders.co.nz. Great. Well, thank you again, Bryce, and let's keep in touch. Yeah, thanks very much. Thanks for having us. Thanks for listening to this podcast, brought to you as part of the Abodo Presents series. 